and welcome to another episode of the Three Bid League podcast. As always, I am your host Tyler, joined by Matt. And Matt, we return here for our second episode of the in season. I guess probably in a better place than where we were last time. Although AJ Green from Northern Iowa has certainly put a little damper on the mood. Tough loss for the Bonnies after a great showing at the Charleston Classic. They went down, and you're right, they are. Uh, looking a little bit more vulnerable than maybe before. But it was overall, besides that, I think it was a pretty successful feast week for the Atlantic 10. And especially, I mean, we're going to get into Dayton pretty soon. It's a great week for the two of us. Yeah, it certainly was. And, you know, the, it does feel like there were a few games left on the table. VCU had the lead against UConn. Um, Everyone made it out to seem like George Mason just got smacked around all week, and they went 0-3, but they played a lot of close games. And like Washington, they really should have just pulled that out. Um, They were the better team for at least the first half of that game. So a few things could have gone better, but I guess on the flip side, Dayton also pulled out some games that they very well could have lost. Oh, and Richmond. Richmond, can you stop blowing leads with two minutes to go, please? Richmond, I mean, they lose their first game and get relegated to flow hoops for their consolation game against Mississippi State, which just sucks for them. That's even worse than the loss. And, yeah, the Spiders, they're taking a lot of heat. I mean, people are not happy with Chris Mooney right now, and they have a losing record, which is kind of hard to believe. But uh, besides Richmond, I I think it was good. VCU looked much better, even though they went one and two for the week. They looked better than they had earlier in the season. St. Joe's beat Georgetown, which is kind of awesome, even though I don't think Georgetown's very good, but that's a nice win for the Hawks. And overall, it was there was some good basketball being played around the conference. Yeah, St. Joe's is, I guess we'll get into this in the mailbag, but St. Joe's is starting to look like they might not be a pillow fight team this year. It, it, they might not. They, uh, they're going to be trying to play their way out of that contention for sure. But in this episode, we have some good good mailbag questions coming up, so we'll get to those later. I think for now, though, we should get started with the biggest story of the week, and that was Dayton. Shocking everybody, not just the Atlantic 10, but really the entire country, Dick Vitale included, winning the ESPN events Invitational. They beat Miami, Kansas, and Belmont three games in a row after losing three bye games. And I think if you had to seed this tournament before it started, Dayton would have been the eight seed because coming off those losses, I don't think anybody had confidence that they would win the whole thing. They didn't. And I personally believe that I was in the one of probably the top 1% of most optimistic people about Dayton going into this week. And I thought they could hang with Miami, even though they had struggled. They could even win that game. I certainly did not expect them to hang with Kansas, although after the Miami game, I did think that they could keep it respectable. Um, I figured that we were going to see this level of play from the Flyers, but not till like late February, as the guys kind of just gelled together and stopped making stupid mistakes. What they did in a five-day turnaround is mind-boggling. I don't think I've ever seen a team play so shittily for three straight games and then walk into a big-time tournament and win it in a way that wasn't fluky at all. They were the better team against Miami. They were the better team against Belmont, and they were damn close to even with Kansas. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, sure, you can point to... Mustafa Amzil's buzzer beater against Kansas. Okay, that was lucky. And also the Jayhawks shot under 50% from the free throw line. But Yeah, and also Remy Martin kept hitting jumpers with his back heel on the three-point line. Oh, yeah, Kansas banked in two three-pointers, so it's not like they were without their luck as well. But I think the key— Remy Martin looked like a streetball god in the first half. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so the Miami game starting there, Dayton wins by 16, a really comfortable win. And the Flyers had by far their best shooting performance of the season. And as a preface to this tournament, Dayton came in shooting around 23% from the three-point line in their first four games. 
they go out and shoot 11 for 19 against Miami, leading to a, a pretty easy win in the second half. Kansas, I want to say they only made uh, – they went 5 for 17 on threes that game. So, really, they got a lot of their work done inside the arc. And that's been a staple of Anthony Grant's teams at Dayton. They've been really efficient scoring in the paint. And something that we didn't see as much of the first couple games of the season. So, it's really good to see the Flyers get back to that, getting those efficient shots around the rim. And then the Belmont game was a little bit different, a little bit of a slower pace than against Kansas. But I really felt like the Flyers stepped it up on the defensive end. They held Belmont to just six threes. And other than their big man, Nick Muzinski, who really had a fantastic game, and he's he's a terrific mid-major center. Other than him, they pretty much shut down the Bruins and I, I thought played excellent defense in the game. I mean, look, if you take out the first half against Kansas where they just got utterly roasted by Martin and Oche Abaji, who were, I don't know, maybe two of the 20 best pure scorers in college basketball, then the defense was actually great all weekend long. That was really their only dud half, and it was two guys just going above and beyond to kind of tear them apart. I think Dayton, overall, they got contributions from a lot of different guys, but the two stories for me... Uh, Malachi Smith, who I'm told is from the Bronx, New York, heard that a couple times this week, but he put up three consecutive triple nickels, hit a couple of huge shots in the second half against Kansas. I I think at one point he actually went on a 6-0 run by himself. And um, as a, a true freshman, he's really taken over as a leader of this team, and that's been so exciting to watch. And I think he's quickly turning into someone that you can envision as one of the better point guards in this conference for the next couple of years. He was awesome. And then Deron Holmes, the second, you can just see the potential growing every game with him against Belmont. He put up 11 points, 10 rebounds and six block shots. He led Dayton with 16 points against Kansas. I could really see him being the best player in the conference next year. And I don't think that's unfair to say as soon as he gets stronger and puts on some muscle over the off season, it's going to be real tough for a 10 bigs to shut him down. I don't believe it's particularly crazy in any way to say that they're both right in the heat of the all conference discussion already. Obviously the numbers aren't there yet, but you assume that those will improve when we get to January Um, it's kind of hard for me to believe if Dayton is a contender, and I think we'll cover that in a second here, but if they're a legitimate top four team, I don't see how those, how that happens without those two being among the 15 best players in the conference, because it's pretty clear that they are Dayton's two best guys. The exception is maybe Kamara, who just doesn't, he just doesn't look like he's, kind of gelled into this team yet and I don't know if it'll happen but he started to show some flashes in what was it the second half of that Kansas game where all of a sudden he wasn't getting the ball taken from him on the dribble drives he was starting to make those tough turnarounds in the paint and I actually I feel about Kamara the way I felt about Holmes a week ago which is we've seen the flashes and you could tell me that he'll be great two weeks from now but it just hasn't come together yet so I think we can go into that now though looking at Dayton for the rest of the season I mean in our text exchanges I was considering Dayton as a pillow fight team this time last week but all of a sudden after pulling off three stunning victories in in a row the Flyers look alive I'll even go further because I I think we're still both on the same page that St. Bonaventure is the front runner in the league Is Dayton a top two contender right now? So we're recording this before the Alabama State game. Oh, yeah. This could all fall apart in like two days. I want to see them go out and just punch those guys in the mouth. Like, I want to see a 25-point step on the throat 10 minutes into the game pounding here, which they are fully capable of. Because I do wonder, is – was it possibly an effort thing in these first few games? You have a bunch of young kids. They think, oh, we're playing UMass Lowell at home. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> it's not hard to get up for 
a Thanksgiving game on national TV against an ACC team. It's not hard to get up against Kansas. It's not hard to get up when you have a trophy on the line. I want to see these guys get up and just pound Alabama State into submission. And if they do, I put them to right now without hesitation. Because what I saw this weekend, if they can carry that over into these next few games, their next few bye games, the SMU game, we have to seriously start considering the idea of just writing off these three losses like their blockbuster stock on an accounting ledger because they, they just look completely different now. Maybe there's a little Mickey Mouse magic, but if they start just eviscerating teams and buy games again, then I'm just going to stop using that in my evaluation. Sadly for them, the committee won't. Yeah, I mean, I think from a tournament perspective, they're not going to completely ignore those three games. And I, I really don't think Dayton should even con- – they shouldn't concern themselves with a resume at this point. I, I think you can't completely overlook those three games just because the fact that, you know, if it was one game, like if they lost to UMass Lowell by one point and then won the rest of their games, I think it would be fine. You could call that a fluke. Three in a row is really, really bad. But I, I do think Dayton, they should go into this next week with a lot more confidence than before, at least. They know what they're capable of. And I, I'm really interested to see. They've still got three very difficult non-conference games. They go at SMU in Mississippi and in between their home against Virginia Tech. So those are going to be three very tough games where if they won even two of them, that would be a, a big success to me. So... I think Dayton, honestly, they've shown that they have the ceiling to be a top two team. It's just going to, they're going to have to avoid those off nights where, you know, they've had a couple games this year where they wouldn't beat anybody in the ATEM, not even GW. So I, I still need to see a little bit more consistency, but it, I think you're, you made a good point. If they can deliver some knockout punches early in these next couple bye games, that would give me a lot more confidence that Dayton's a true contender in the a Yeah, and as we think ahead of how to actually look at this team, my question to you is, so let's say they play just as shittily as they did in those three games, but they go two and one. How do you think of this team? Because you can make the argument that the last two minutes of the Lowell game were just kind of stupid. And it was basically a coin flip at that point. And after watching him this weekend, I'm fully confident that if Malachi Smith doesn't get that T for taunting at the end of the first half against Austin, Austin P, which just buried him in foul trouble the rest of the game, they would have won because he was tearing them apart. And when he was on the court, it looked like Dayton was just going to run away with it. So I don't think two and I don't think going two and one instead of zero and three is really that far off lips come. They, they got smacked. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I do think the fact that they went zero and three, like that didn't give me any confidence in Dayton's ability to close, which maybe it, we would have thought of them a little bit differently. They also struggled in their first game against UIC. So it's not like any of their first four games were good basketball. So I, I'm sure we would have felt a little bit better, but it's just unbelievable the turnaround after um, going to Orlando. It's really impressive stuff. But I think now let, let's move on to another team that has historically been good in the A-10. And just like Dayton suffered a couple of uncharacteristic by game losses the first couple weeks of the season, VCU went to the battle for Atlantis, which is always one of the toughest non-conference tournaments every year. And even though they went one and two, I think it was a pretty encouraging week for the Rams. They beat Syracuse by 12 points to get into the winner's bracket before losing to Baylor by eight and then UConn in overtime. So a couple of very good teams there. How are we feeling about the Rams after a couple disappointing weeks, but a few really good defensive performances in this tournament? I still put the Rams in the top four under the belief that they get Ace Baldwin back once those games start to count. Because I think once they have him, their offense can be competent. And if their offense is competent, 
then they're right in the heat of the double bye race, plain and simple. They're going to have the best defense in this conference that's really not even worth trying to think about. Um, they just they need they have to ask Nunn and Sahonis to do so much offensively right now, and I mean quite frankly, Jaden Nunn's just just too young right now to carry this burden. Um, he's gonna he's gonna be good though by the end of the year. I, I still fully stand by that. They need to give him time. They need they need to give Ace time to heal up. I think they're fine. They're not getting an at-large bid. They probably threw that away losing that UConn game. They needed another good win, but no, I mean, I wouldn't be down on the Rams at all. I, I think the key with VCU, because their offense is terrible, there's no getting around that, but their offense doesn't have to be that good for the Rams to be a double-buy team in the A-10. They're fourth in the country on Ken Palm in defensive efficiency, which just keeps getting better and better after every game. I don't think I, – I looked it up, and I should have had this typed out. Very few teams held Baylor under 70 points last year, and I thought the Rams really fought hard in that game. They had a chance to win with a couple minutes to go. But they're going to need to get some offensive production somewhere. I was really hoping for a little bit more from Vince Williams after his – just break out sharp shooting season last year, but he's only around 30% from three. And then Hassan Ward, really, he's still a great defender. He's only averaging about five points a game, shooting under uh, 45% from the field, which isn't good for him. So they're going to need to find some offense somewhere, but I don't think they have to get that much better to be a double by team just because their defense is so elite. And I really don't see any A-10 teams putting up a huge offensive outburst against them. Yeah, and I guess at this point, their biggest problem is, like you said, it's hard to figure out where the offense is coming from. Vince Williams, his three-point shooting will almost certainly tick back up, but basically kind of is what he is. He'll get you 12, 13. He'll give you great defense. As we talked about last year extensively, he's not the guy. I don't think he's capable of producing the amount of shots needed to be the guy. And then you just kind of keep looking around the board. Son Ward just didn't add anything to his offensive game. Um, Levi Stockard. Yeah. A couple good okay. games. I, I mean, he's at seven points a game. Do we really think he can do much more than that? Keyshawn Curry. I love the fact that they started him. I think he is the reason why this defense has been just as good as last year without despite the fact that Baldwin and Bones are gone but once again you're kind of squeezing what you can out of him offensively shooting shooting 29% from 3 maybe that becomes a little bit better but he's never going to be a killer and so like it's it's none none has to get better and you're asking a lot out of a guy who who's played 181 total minutes in his college career. No, granted, Dayton's kind of asking the same thing with Malachi Smith, but Malachi has a different burden because he gets to be your distributor. Jaden Nunn's going to have to put the ball in the bucket. And by the way, Sahonis, who people saw that he transferred in from the Pac-12, figured he'd be their offensive savior, 4.4 points a game. He's just not doing it. Yeah, it's it's been a tough going for the Rams on offense. None did have 21 points against UConn, and I'll be honest, I was watching Dayton, so I didn't see a minute of this game, but he's going to be really important. We've both raved about his ability really going way back into the offseason, and if he can get better and better throughout the season, if they get Ace Baldwin back healthy at some point this year, that would suddenly change the entire dynamic of what VCU can do. I think right now their offense does put a pretty hard ceiling because if a team does go out and happen to make some threes against them, it's going to be tough to keep up. But their defense should keep the Rams in pretty much every game. So it, it, it's not going to take much. They just need a little bit more offense. If they can even be like, you know, ninth or 10th best in the A-10 instead of whatever they are now, that would be an improvement. Yeah, it, and we'll close out with this. None had 21 against UConn. 
But by overtime, the Huskies figured out that if they just shifted their defense towards him and basically just took him out, then even if VCU was playing four on three, they really couldn't do anything to hurt them. Yeah. All right. I think now we'll, we'll get into one quick topic before our Twitter questions, and that is UMass, who just knocked off Rutgers at home after a big second-half comeback. I think they were down 17 at one point. Noah Fernandes hit a crazy buzzer beater after Rutgers took the lead with four seconds to go. They've been, again, a very inconsistent team. They now have wins over two schools out of the Big Ten, but they also lost to Ball State, who's pretty terrible. So do you see UMass right now, just real quick, as a top half or a bottom half team? They're in this just kind of giant cluster in the middle with the likes of Rhode Island and George Mason and Davidson and St. Louis and possibly Duquesne if you want to bump them up there. And it's, it's honestly, I think everybody's now more bunched together than they were before we even went into the season. But I took the Minutemen fifth to start the year. I'll continue to roll with them in the top half. Um, somehow their defense is worse than I thought, but I mean, I had Noah Fernandes' preseason second team, and yet I've still been blown away by how good he's been. Um, just true elite floor general stuff in the Rutgers game. And they got a lot of guys who could fill it up. So I'm not worried about the offense ever going flat. If one of the Kellys isn't scoring, the other one probably will. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think UMass is kind of like the opposite of VCU because their defense has just been terrible this year. They're 258th in Ken Palm right now, but their offense is actually really good. And a lot of that is the three-point shooting from the Kellys, who are both above 45% right now. And this is on a lot of attempts, too. I mean, UMass gets out and runs in transition. They shoot a ton of threes. And if they can keep up that shooting, that's going to, you know, they're going to be tough to defend. I think what's going to help them out, they do have a pretty favorable conference schedule. They get uh, Mason, Fordham, and LaSalle as a couple of their home and homes. They also get St. Louis and Rhode Island. So not the most difficult matchups overall. I think right now I'd probably put them sixth or seventh, maybe just above halfway. But I don't know. Their defense, I mean, watching the Ball State game a couple weeks ago, a couple of their other games in that tournament, they just – they don't defend very much. They don't have a great inside presence. I haven't gotten to watch them play a full game with Stedman, so I don't know if he really even plays that much or if he's improved their po- post presence, but I, I don't know. It just feels like UMass is going to have to make a lot of threes in every game to win because their defense isn't going to get enough stops. Yeah, it's not. And like we said, um, I guess we'll just plug it now. Uh, we went on the Screen the Screener podcast last week uh terrific little snippet there if you want to go check that out um when we were on there my kind of insight to the world outside of a 10 twitter was just start hammering the umass over and that's how i feel they cannot play defense but fernandes is going to get them into the 80s every game at this point it looks like I was about to tweet that we should start betting, uh, live betting St. Bonaventure at halftime, but a good thing I didn't say anything because they lost. So don't take my gambling advice. But yeah, good call on the UMass overs. It's been hitting this year. And hey, when's we got to figure out when UMass VCU is because that collision might like explode the cameras, Ark of the Covenant style. Um, I don't know what's going to happen there. I assume VCU will probably have their way, but that could be that could be a bizarre clashing of styles. How about UMass Richmond? I mean, that game could be in the you know both teams could be in the hundreds. No one's going to play defense. UMass Richmond just giddy up. That's going to be fun because. I don't think UMass has anybody who can guard Golden. And I don't think Richmond has anybody who can guard any of UMass's shooters. So let's roll. (laughs) 
All right. So with that, let's go ahead and get into our Twitter questions. And thank you to everybody who replied to us. These are some good ones. Uh, we'll start with West Pine Bills, which, I mean, this is always an important question for our podcast. And I don't want to go too deep into bracketology because it's it's November. But they asked us, will the A-10 be closer to one bid this season or three? Which is, you know, that's been a topic for many years now. But it's important again this year because so far the A-10 doesn't seem to have a, a ton of at-large quality teams. But I'm interested to see what you think about this one. I'll go closer to three because I just think that there's such a high chance that either – Dayton puts it together and gets into the at-large discussion. VCU gets healthy and then rampages to like 14 and four, like they did the other year. Or Bonaventure just plays another one of those weird dud games um, in the tournament. By the way, I've, t- I've mentioned over and over again, how Bonaventure has problems with this kind of taller elite scoring forward Cam Thomas crushed him in the tournament. Emmanuel Acott of Boise State caused them a lot of problems. They got destroyed by A.J. Green of Northern Iowa. You know who fits the exact same profile of those three guys? Tyler Burton. Hmm. And so that's one to watch out for, especially in a tournament setting, where if Burton just drops 30 again, we'll be looking at multiple bits. I think there's a good chance we get multiple bids. I, I really doubt there's going to be one. Like, really, the only way that would happen, I think, is if St. Bonaventure just tears through the A-10 and wins the conference tournament. But even though it didn't happen last year, a, a bid thief is always a possibility. And I just think there's enough teams that are good enough where, like, I honestly don't know about Dayton because of the three Q4 losses. But, like, if St. Louis or Richmond or... You know, I'll throw in Dayton or VCU or Rhode Island. Like, if any of them are, like, 11 and 3 in February, they're going to show up in, like, the last four-in discussion. And normally what we see in the A-10, the second-place team is going to win probably 13 or 14 games. It's not like St. Bonaventure. I really don't think we're going to see something where Bonaventure goes, like, 17 and 1 and the next best team's. 12 and 6 or 11 and 7. Well, Someone else was, is going to pull away. Where I was about to go with that is Bonaventure could go 17 and 1, and then we might just get like a 14 and 4 team. And that's still the magic number. We've never seen an 8 10 team go 14 and 4 and, and miss the NCAA tournament. Davidson did our, our first year doing the podcast, but that was the worst A 10 ever. This year's better. It's a stronger conference. I keep forgetting that the Davidson team was even decent. I, I, I still don't understand yeah. how they went 14 and four. That team wasn't that good. <laughs> I looked it up. So they had like four or five sub 200 losses though. Cause they lost to like UMass a couple times and St. Joe's. So they had a bad resume, but, and people are going to be so mad too. Like I can call it now. Richmond's going to be like 11 and three. They're going to be in the first four on Lenardi's bracket. And, and everybody is a terrible game. Well, probably, but you know, what's going to happen when Richmond starts popping up on the bubble or when VCU does or somebody, everyone's going to complain about how the bubble sucks this year. Let me let you in on a little secret. The bubble sucks every year and it's not any different. If somebody pulls ahead and competes with Bonaventure for a regular season title, whether you like it or not, they're going to be in the tournament discussion. So unless it's like someone with an absolutely awful non-conference, like if, you know, if Duquesne somehow does it, then they might not. But I, I think there's a good chance we see a second team in the at large Duquesne's non-conference actually hasn't been atrocious, but well, I mean, there's been there's been there's been worse from better teams so far. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'll I'll throw this out though too. The middle might really suck. Well, my like, there's a. There's a very decent chance, and so if that happens, we could end up with just like a three-team war up top, where it's sixteen and two, fifteen and three, fourteen and four. And if that happens, there's certain somebody else is certainly getting in. And then George Mason gets the auto bid, and it's a four-bid league. So I think you're right. <laughs> but um, 
I, I think now let's let's go to the other other side of the conference, the pillow fight range. And we got a good question from Rich from the Golda Standard podcast. And he asked us if the same four teams will be in the pillow fight this year. So those four teams being St. Joe's, GW, LaSalle, and Fordham. And right now they're all very much in that range. I know we had Dr. John on the podcast before the season. He was telling us that maybe two of those teams would be over 500. I'm not really seeing it, unfortunately. I think he might have been wrong on that one. GW, lock it in because somehow their offense now sucks, even though their defense is less sucky. Um, Fordham, probably, if Fordham almost certainly joins them there, and same with LaSalle. The one is St. Joe's. And I'm just, I guess we don't really have to find the team for them to replace because someone will have some injuries or really underwhelm. There's no really obvious candidate to drop. I guess the consensus would be Duquesne, but I think that that team's got enough to kind of have a consistency of decency. I think right now, so GW and I think LaSalle are pretty much locks for the pillow fight. Fordham, I want to say they aren't. I mean, they haven't. They, Fordham's actually playing pretty well this season. We have another question coming up about them. And then St. Joe's has the upside. They've got a couple talented players. Taylor Funk is leading the conference in scoring right now, which is pretty crazy. I do think Duquesne is the obvious answer to replace them. The only other one would be if if George Mason's first four games of the year, including their win against Maryland, if, if that was just a total fluke, then maybe they could slip down too. But I really don't see anyone else. Like, I don't see Rhode Island. I don't see UMass, like Davidson. I think they're all too talented. So I really only think there's five or six teams that have a chance to be fighting for those to stay out of those bottom four spots. Someone in the UMass Duquesne Rhodey Mason crew is going to either have a bad injury or just kind of crumble. I don't, I don't think we can group Rhode Island with we those teams. We can't really guess that. They're way too good for that right now, I think. We'll see if Rhode Island loses somebody, they could be down there because that team yeah. is kind of scarily thin. And I think, but I think like Duquesne's the same way where they probably just can't withstand losing like any of their three best guys, even though they don't have a star. I'll just answer the question and say, yes, I I think it's going to be the same four teams though. (laughs) I don't know. I, if it's, it's going to be, it's going to come down to St. Joe's and Duquesne for me. I think, I, I think the others are all good enough to avoid it. So another question, staying on the same topic, Ghost McHistory asked us, is Fordham too low? Normally the meme has been Fordham too high, but I'll say this. I don't think Fordham's the worst team in the conference this year. No. I I don't think there's a good case for that at this point, to be honest. I've picked them 13th three years in a row. I feel good about it this year. They're better than GW. I think they might be better than LaSalle. I think they might be 12th right now. Yeah, they might LaSalle did have one assist against Villanova. Yeah, I turned that off. I was riding the high of Dayton winning their tournament, and I didn't want to get bummed out watching LaSalle just get blasted. So I I did not watch that, but hard to believe that box score. That was something else. But, I mean, Fordham, I haven't seen a ton of their games, but they have two of the top five scorers in the conference, both – Darius Quisenberry and Antonio Day are averaging over 17 points a game. Chuba O'Hams is averaging a double-double. So they've got some decent top-end talent, I think. And when they went to the Gulf Coast Showcase, they beat Akron and Rice by double digits. And those aren't complete pushovers. Those are like top 150, 175 opponents, which for Fordham standards, those are pretty good wins. So I'm I'm buying the Rams right now a little bit. I think 11th or 12th, this is what we said before the season. If they could just stay out of the basement and finish 11th or 12th, that would be a huge accomplishment for them. And I think it's looking that way. Yeah, I mean, who knows where you can go when your coach actually wears closed-toed shoes everywhere? <laughs> 
yeah, it raises your ceiling for sure. There's no doubt about that. All right, let's go over. We'll go back to the top of the conference. Eddie asked us, which team has the best chance to finish in the top three, St. Louis, Dayton, or George Mason? Dayton. I mean, the, the three bad losses don't count towards conference records. So That's true. I think, I think St. Louis is a safer pick right now just because they are like the one team in the A-10 without a bad loss. I think, let me put it this way. I think St. Louis is a better chance to finish top three. I think Dayton is a better chance to win the conference, though. I, I think the Flyers' ceiling is really, really high after this last week. But St. Louis does feel like a high-floor team since they do have a lot of guys that can score and they are playing some pretty good defense. But I, I don't know. I think St. Louis is the safer pick. I feel pretty good about them getting a double buy. Where Dayton, you just never know. I mean, they could they could lose some bad games. It's just I, I feel a little bit less confident in them avoiding those landmines compared to the Billikens. We have to keep in mind Dayton has more pure talent than anyone else in this conference. Um, we, and then, honestly, SLU might be too, though. It's SLU, VCU, um, and then obviously Richmond and Bonaventure are up there because they've – Mark Schmidt has created talent. More with class. Are we just going to ignore George Mason for this question, or do they have any chance? Yeah, I, they're a mid-tier team. I, they could yeah. be top four, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna act like that's that's a huge thing. Their bench kind of does nothing. Um, mm-hmm. I love the five, but they're just they're it. just not malleable past the starting lineup. And if you have a game where like Cooper and Oduro are both struggling, then they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think George Mason, they, they got off to a great start, but they did not put up a great showing in the last week. So I don't think they're quite in the same tier as Dayton and St. Louis. All right, speaking of St. Louis, we got another good question from West Pine Bills, and they asked us, what players have surprised, surprised us the most this season? So I'll start it off. I, and we've already talked about him a decent amount, but Tyler Burton for me. Would you say he's Richmond's best player this year? Yeah. He's averaging 19 a game, shooting 46% from three. Really yeah, feels like they're not empty points either. Yeah. He's dragging them through the mud. That was the obvious answer for me. I mean, he has stepped it up to another level. And if you told me Tyler Burton was this good before the season, I would have thought Richmond would be winning the conference. So it's pretty disappointing that the rest of their team hasn't stepped up in the same way because he's been outstanding. So, to me, the Burton thing's not that crazy. I mean, he's... I thought he was the breakout guy in the conference going into the year. I had him second team all all A-10, so he's been better than I expected, but to me, this is not that crazy. He was incredible at the end of last season. Um, There's not one, like glaringly huge answer to me so just kind of a few answers um Gibson Jemerson who just utterly roasted every bad team that St. Louis played so far this year mm-hmm. and then I guess the big I guess the other big one would be Devontae Gaines from George Mason who we really just didn't give the time of day to and I don't think anyone really did he was just some athlete who was at Tennessee and it turns out that he's the essential glue guy for Mason, second in the conference in rebounding and first in three-point percentage. Yeah. He does nothing flashy, but like, but having a guy like that is so incredibly valuable. And we kind of start to look up and down some of the better rosters in the A-10. Like, that's a guy that Dayton doesn't have. That's a guy that I'm not sure SLU really has. Richmond, God, Richmond would love to have Devontae Gaines right now. Um, he would be the missing piece for so many, so many teams. We've like two of them in the conference every year. I certainly did not expect him to be one of them. 
I, I think for me, just one other quick answer. It's actually two players, but I think for Davidson, I was concerned that Hyungjun Lee and Luka Brakovich were going to have to carry them on offense. But uh, Mike Jones and Sam Meninga are both averaging over 10 points a game, both shooting the three really well, which is a nice surprise because I think they both – well, Meninga didn't shoot well last year, and I think Jones had an off-shooting year too. But uh, overall, Davidson's just had a super well-rounded offense. They're shooting over 42% from three this year, and they have five starters averaging double figures. Um, I didn't mention Foster Lawyer, but he's also playing well this year. So those are a couple other guys that um, – I'd say are a little bit of a pleasant surprise for me. Yeah, I'm just surprised by the timing on Menenga. I would have guessed it for next year. Mm -hmm. I just thought that he was going to be better being able to play a little bit more of the five once Breikovic was gone and the lane was more open. Yeah. And then one guy too, uh, Terrence Hargrove, having a great season, but I'm not surprised. He was my breakout pick, and I'm feeling really good about it because he's been one of St. Louis's best players this year, and I'm – I'm happy that Travis Ford's playing him a lot of minutes. That's great news for them. Yeah, and we can't be hugely surprised about Yuri Collins after Tristan mm-hmm. came on and put him in his top 10 of our uh, of our top 21 players list in the preseason. Yeah. yeah, that's a good call too. All right, last Twitter question, and then we'll wrap it up. Lil Bana asks, asks us, who would win 100 LaSalle's playing like first half St. Bonaventure or one LaSalle? playing like second half Bonaventure and for a little bit of context to anyone that doesn't know the Bonnies have been trailing at half four times in six games this year and it finally came back to bite them against Northern Iowa where they lost at home so I don't know this is a one of the 100 LaSalle's AJ Green are any of them coached by Dr. John or any of them the Sweet 16 LaSalle team? Do any of them have Tom Golda on the team? Like, is this 100 of – if it's 100 of the current LaSalle's, then I'll take the second half Bonaventure because I'll take the quality over quantity. Yeah, I guess LaSalle hasn't had a good scoring wing since uh, since the Twins graduated, which is probably nine years ago. So I'll take the, I'll take the one LaSalle playing like second half Bonaventure. I, th- I think that's the answer. That's a good question, though. I like it. All right. Any other thoughts on these questions? Or are you ready to get into our uh, end for the podcast? No, let's, get, let's go to the closing topic here. All right. So this is way too early, but we thought it would be fun to discuss anyway. Um, we're going to go through a quick all-conference first team through the first month of the season. So obviously everyone's only played about six or seven games, but... I'm curious to see who you think so far this year. And I guess I should ask. So when I did my list, it's just not based on expectations at all, just based on what's been done on the court. It's solely based on this. And by the way, I want to come back to this at the end of December and January this year too. And actually track this as we go along. Um, And I'll give my – so we're obviously doing five-player teams because that's how many people play on a basketball court. Um, And my other thing – I think there's a very heavy possibility that Bonaventure gets three guys on the first team at the end of the year. No, but no way. No after way. the Northern Iowa loss, if they go 17-1, and one, they might do it. Um, after the Northern Iowa loss, the fact that they have not been dominant this year, I could not do it. So, sorry, Oshun. Um, you are off for the moment. Well, so I, I'm still, I'm going to bring this up every time you say this. Dayton went undefeated and had two players on the first team and one on the third team. If Bonaventure or anyone else does any better than that in all conference voting, I'm going to be so mad. I'm writing a letter well, to Dayton's the Dayton's gap was office. between the second and third guy. Bonaventure's gap is between the third and fourth. Uh, and by I, the way, Dayton should have had two guys on that third team. That was ridiculous. They should have. But anyway, no, I agree. So... I because St. Bonaventure, I might have considered it differently if they had beaten Northern Iowa, but I did not double up on any teams. I have one player from five different teams because I just don't think anybody's been dominant enough this year, and it's it's just too early. So I wanted to spread it out a little bit. But anyway, well, I'll read my first two picks because I think they were the easiest for me. I'm curious if you all have the same guys. I had Tyler Burton and Kyle Lofton for now. So I had three easy picks. Those are two of them. Okay. Um, I want to preemptively congratulate Kyle Lofton on his 
2022 A10 Player of the Year Award. Um, it's over. It's done. When Bonaventure gets the one seed, he will win the award. Um, he's somehow better this year. He's now shooting like deep pull-up mid-ranges like he's Kawhi Leonard. Um, he's finally aggressive with his off-the-bounce shooting. Yeah, he's he's been the best player so far. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, I wanted to pick Oshun, but I don't know. His defense is still amazing. I, I just didn't want to. He's only averaging like eight points a game, too. Yeah, that's I, why I, I had to leave him off. I didn't really the want to take Kubonis. actually gone down so far this year. So who is your other easy pick, then? Because you said you had Burton and Lofton. Jaron Holmes. Okay, so I, I didn't pick another Bonnie. That, that's fine. I, I thought about him. I mean, he's having a great season, too. But anyway, my His other three. Outrageous. He, he is. He's. I, I should probably respect him more, but I'm not giving two Bonnies this honor yet. My my other three picks, though, and honestly, this was pretty tough. I feel like I could have just pulled them out of a hat. I said Josh Oduro, playing great for Mason so far. Hyungjun Lee, who I think has established himself as one of the best offensive players, and he's also averaging like six rebounds a game. And then this last one was tough. I wanted to get someone from St. Louis, so I, I took Yuri Collins. I know he's not scoring a lot of points, but he's averaging like seven or eight assists a game right now, and I think he's been the catalyst for St. Louis still having a great offense, even without Javante Perkins. So that was my last pick. I also put Yuri Collins on. Um, Fernandes' numbers just weren't quite good enough. Mm-hmm. I wanted to squeeze him on. Uh, a lot of the score, a lot of the top scores so far are kind of just empty guys where that's basically all they do. Like the Fordham guys, Taylor Funk. Um, Golden has just not been a great rebounder so far, even though he's been incredible on offense. And I can't possibly reward two people who play on that abomination of a Richmond defense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I kind of just stumbled upon Collins even though the numbers don't support it. But he's leading the conference in assists by a huge margin. He's number two in steals. He's bumped his scoring up a little bit. He's starting to shoot the ball more. Um, right now, he's St. Louis's best player. We'll see if that continues. Jimerson's just kind of did too much against crap teams for me to pick him instead. He's averaging like 16 yeah, points and one rebound. It's empty calories. I couldn't do it. I mean, Yuri's probably their best guy unless the prophecy of Jordan Nesbitt comes true in the next three months, mm-hmm. which every St. Louis fan will tell you is go is a guaranteed lock at this point. <laughs> yep. All right, and then your last pick. My last guy, um, because this is fun and it's November, because I, I just don't think I'd make this decision in March, um, I took Taylor Funk <laughs> over Josh Aduro. Um, Aduro Aduro's kind of run this weird disappearing act where he, he looks like Shaq in the first half of a game and then like the first 14 minutes of the second half you forget he's playing and then he hits like two Kevin McHale level shots in crunch time um, so it, it's been a weird season for him I'm picking Taylor Funk for one reason and one reason only the man is shooting 54% from three on 50 attempts so far. He's always yeah. been, until the very end of last year, he was always much more of a theoretical three-point shooter than an actual great one. He was college basketball's Nikola Miritich. Um, he, got, he went on that hot streak at the end of the year, and now it just looks like it's real. Like, Taylor Funk could actually win the scoring title this season. He and he can. doesn't... He's no longer just a complete abomination on defense because now he gets to play a position where he's not, where he's not the single key cog of that team. Uh, honestly, I probably should have picked Taylor Funk because his stats are just pretty bonkers this year, especially his three-point shooting. I just looked at it. I think St. Joe's would be in the pillow fight right now. I still think they're one of the four worst teams, and I don't think it's realistic. Like we wouldn't actually see a first-team guy from the pillow fight, I don't think. I, I don't see how that could happen. So I, I he's probably – or he's definitely deserving. I just 
I, I had to re reward a winner, so that's why I took Yuri Collins. Maybe that's a bad methodology, but I don't care. Well, it's tough right now because you can't give it to Vince Williams because that offense is too bad. No, no one. We have to you. wait. We have to wait a few more weeks for Malachi Smith to get his numbers up. Mm -hmm. Um, you can't like. I, I guess Fernandes would be the other guy. It, it's basically Fernandes and Oduro. Hyunjun Lee's he's playing like an all conference guy, but certainly not a top five guy so far. Um, Rody is a sum of the parts team. Like they certainly don't have a superstar. They could actually they could finish like six this year and still not have an all conference guy. Um, although Duquesne's also capable of the same thing. So yeah. How about Kobe Elvis in the first half against Belmont? That would Kobe Elvis, but only when the defense is charging at him flat-footed. <laughs> if that happened to him every play, he could score 81 like his idol. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's about all I've got. That was a good feast week podcast, a good week for the A-10, I think. Some great basketball around the league. Tyler, do you have anything else to wrap it up? Yeah. I was going to try to hold back on this this season, but LaSalle had one assist yesterday, so go ahead and light that L. Oh, terrible. Why couldn't they play that game at Tom Golda, the true cathedral of basketball? What a shame. Did they at least bring the L with them in case they won? Just as a backup. That plan. thing's probably glued into the wall. Either that or the chlorine has seeped up and kind of like stuck it to it. <laughs> I only imagine. But yeah, what a what a bummer for LaSalle. Tough tough loss in the big five. So sorry to all you explorer fans out there. But uh maybe you'll get Villanova next year. No, they won't. Well. Do they have any other J Wright assistants to hire? Anyone else coming up through the pipeline? Is Cal Neptune available? <laughs> they need to play Villanova. Why isn't that happening? Because Jay Wright is scared. I guess so. That's, That's why I was the at the press That's the assistant who got yeah. away. I guess so. What a shame. And so, with that, we call it on another episode of the Three Bid League podcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, please give us five stars on iTunes. Send us a message at the number three bid league pod on Twitter if you got any comments on the show. And if you enjoyed this, be sure to go back and listen to our appearance on the Screen the Screener podcast. They're doing some great work over there. Everybody, enjoy the college basketball. It's the one thing we got to distract us from the cold here. Stay safe out there.